Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, everybody in between. This is Feature This, a fan edit podcast. Today we're going to be branching out and trying something entirely new, entirely different, and hopefully more of which will be on the way. Uh, Today is an interview and sort of an in-depth analysis uh, of a fan edit by a fan editor with him on the line. So why don't we get a, uh, let's go ahead and get the introduction over with. Rory, are you there? Yes, sir. How you doing, Bezo? I am terrific. So uh, Rory is uh, a fellow fan editor. And we are going to be discussing one of his fan edits of uh, Insidious, uh, a James Wan-directed horror picture. came out, uh, what, early 2000s, 2003-ish, maybe? Um, I think it was later than that, wasn't it? Okay. I, I want, uh, you'd think I'd know, but you'd be wrong. Yeah, I, want to okay. say, I want to say it was like 2007, 8, I don't know, I could go get my Blu-ray, but... <laughs> Some- <laughs> Actually, the Blu-ray is right in front of me. Let me look at it. We're obviously doing a ton of research on this before we get Clearly. into it. Um, I might even be later than that, because the second one was like 2013. So it might, have been, right. 2011, it might have been 2011, if I'm right, I'll save that's a little right. credit. That's I right. I think a third one's coming out now, so if you take it back six years, it's about 2010-ish. So, the third one's already out. That's how well it did. You knew oh, wow. that. <laughs> uh, it was... So, well, Before, it's not an insidious podcast, but it was it, it was directed by the guy who co-wrote with James Wan in the first two. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, that's a, the third one's a um, a sequel, right? Uh, a prequel, excuse me. If I'm yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, I want to actually kind of talk to you a little bit about because my I've I've branched out in my uh, in in some of my episodes talking about my history, kind of bringing me into fan editing and my interest in it. Um, but I uh, haven't heard that from really another editor. So I want to start there. Can you give me a wh- – how does your introduction to the fan editing world unfold? Okay. Um, yeah, I don't have a, a, a sort of professional technical background. Uh, I've always been a movie fan. I just love movies, and I collect them at a rate that far outpaces wh- how I can actually watch them. <laughs> but I just I just watch stuff all the time, and – one day it was back. It was back in like 2012, mm-hmm. and I used to just. I mean, I used. I'm so weird. I would just like Google movie stuff because, like, you you get like your nine sites that have all the stuff that you know that's coming, but like you never find anything new. And this is back. I mean, I guess it wasn't pre all this stuff, but it was pre me knowing about Reddit and all that other stuff. I don't even know if that existed, but mm-hmm. I, 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 I something fan came up, and it was like fan edit. I found fanedit.org. Mm-hmm. And I was, and I was just kind of like, I was blown away. Um, I, how do how are expletives on here? We didn't talk about that. This is uh, if you want to drop an f bomb and say shit and fuck, I'm totally down with it. Okay, cool. Uh, I, I'm a marine, so. That's, that's, <laughs> I'm a, but I was just, I was just like, holy shit! Like this exists. It was sort mm-hmm. of a concept that never occurred to me. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. into. YouTube's so like I just didn't know that people change shit, mm-hmm. and 
when I saw it, I was just like, wow. I was like, this is awesome. I'm going to download as many of these as I possibly can because mm-hmm. this is awesome. I wanted to see everything, which mm-hmm. is useful because I still have a bunch of old crap that keeps going offline. <laughs> but yeah, I, and I just fell in love. And the movie that did it for me is actually one that would, you probably wouldn't know because my edit of it never came out as uh, of Edge of Tomorrow. So Ooh. when I saw Edge, Edge of Tomorrow, thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Um, it was just Tom Cruise being extremely Tom Cruisey mm-hmm. in a way that was awesome, and I, I really enjoyed it. I, I really liked it. It gave me a lot to think about, and the ending just an, annoyed me. And so, spo- spoilers for Edge of Tomorrow, and I will right. not call it Live Die Repeat, no matter what the studio decides to do. You know, <laughs> just as a as a quick tangent, I noticed that they tried. It looked like they tried to rebrand it for the DVD release as Live Die Repeat. But I think that that was just a marketing uh, error that went too far, and, there were, and then they, they couldn't come back on it. I think that was actually trying a slogan that... Yeah, it started as... It was the tagline all along. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But when they put it out on video, I guess because it didn't do, like, great, maybe they were like, maybe the other one is better. But then it seemed like they sort of backtracked and just put them both, and then it, it was weird. I, yeah, I, I think somebody in the marketing department got fired for that one. But I don't, for some reason, I don't think it was the intention of the studio to try to rebrand it, and they just kind of went with it. But anyway, that yeah. the ending of that movie frustrated you. It did, it did, and I just I felt like it was. Now, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie, and at the end, I I just did not like that his self sacrifice was wasted nothing. or did not happen. So the the final coda of him in the helicopter returning to. Um, yeah, returning to uh, Emily Blunt's character is what threw you off the edge. Yeah, I didn't like it. It threw that's me a, off the edge of tomorrow. That's really interesting. <laughs> that's actually uh, almost the exact one of the similar problems I had with Oblivion, and I did a fan edit of Oblivion. And did you see that movie? I uh, I did not see the movie. Okay, well uh, you're gonna get a spoiler. Sorry. <laughs> oh that, no no that's fine. I really wanted to. I actually I bought it on Google and fell asleep like two <laughs> times that I tried to watch it. So um, the the but since has... I own it, I actually got got your edit. I just have not gotten around to watching it yet oh, because cool. uh, the wife won't watch it. She fell asleep twice also. <laughs> so the the spoiler I'm gonna to tie back in Edge of Tomorrow is very similar. Is that the main character sort of kills himself and martyrs himself at the end? but through some plot manipulations and whatnot, does reappear at the final of the end of the movie, and it has the same sort of bitterness where you're just like, well, you just did the self-sacrificing, and we were on board with it, but now you just erased it. So I, I see where you're going with that with Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, nice. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, look, I'm not, you know, I get it. I, I, could, I could do, I could, I'm on board with the, I get the Buddhist or, or uh, you know, the rebirth uh, interpretation, but, like, I just didn't like it. didn't sit well with me at the time. And so, so it, it started as wanting to change that. Okay. And from there, I was like, okay, well, what do I use? And I, from the, the, the fanedit.org forums, all the text stuff, there's a lot of good stuff. It's all old, sticky posts, but if you read through those, it really gives you a lot of info. I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm working in Windows. I've got a couple options. Mm-hmm. The, so, the Sony Vegas thing i mean i think it was like 50 50 60 bucks for that mm-hmm. bundle with the the dvd architect mm-hmm. and i figure i'm gonna try something i'll use that i didn't want to deal with free stuff that basically all seem to work but have issues in various ways and right right you know lord knows there's enough issues with editors that work well <laughs> seriously um, 
But uh, so I, I got that, and I wanted to change just the ending. And so you still have the, the coda, the speech part. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the, so, you see everything with the general. Like I wanted you to see everything that happened, except for the shots of him like being alive. Mm-hmm. And that was cool. But I, 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 I don't know if it worked the same with you. But once you get like a little bit of an itch, you then all of, su- all of a sudden you're like, holy shit! And then, so I was like, you know what? I was like, let's let's change the whole ending. Let's make the aliens win. And then I was like, let's think about Independence Day footage. Then I was like, well, okay, then I should actually mash up sort of in the beginning so that like it's, it's a sort of ground and uh, or on land and in the air battle. Mm -hmm. So it's coordinated. And I did all this stuff and I tried color correction. And like, frankly, it was just the first time I'd done anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I would love I, I would like to go back and watch it because it's hilarious, but it was it was it was not up to technical standards. Understood. I, at one point, I actually had one up music, like the Mario one up music, and I played that every time, <laughs> every time that he, he died, regenerated. Every, yeah, every, yeah. every time, yeah. and I, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And anyway, the point is, I learned a lot on that. One. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll never see the light of day. And I played with it so much that like. I can just deal with the last three minutes of the movie not being perfect and <laughs> rewatch it. Like, I, you know, sometimes you just don't want to revisit something. I, were, I went, you know what I mean? I went on it for a long time, yeah. and I, I learned a ton of stuff. But, yeah, that was sort of the movie that started it. And from there, it's just like, oh, well, what? Oh, my God, the idea is what else can we do? The second thing I wanted to do was turn Game of Thrones into a movie. I mean, it didn't actually end up coming out mm-hmm. until, like, two months ago, but that was the second thing I, I worked on. So mm-hmm. once once I sort of realized, like, oh, you could just play with you can just play with that. Mm-hmm. You, you can change all kinds of stuff, and really since then I just keep thinking about stuff and, prob- you, you know, probably only end up doing about 10% of the stuff you think about. But And, uh, well, and also, you know, a good chunk of what you do, uh, actually attempt to do doesn't work out how you thought so you, that ends up on the cutting room floor for us as well yeah you can't yeah you can't be afraid to just not use something if it's not working mm-hmm. um so I let's for, uh, oh sorry go ahead i was gonna say let's uh let's fast forward to um the the, the first thoughts that you had about uh tackling insidious yeah so insidious was an awesome movie. I didn't see it when it came out. Uh, to be honest, the trailer I remember being rather generic at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm really big into horror. That's probably clear. Mm-hmm. But um, it just it looked it looked like sinister. I remember I was like, I, okay, I, I'm all set. It, it mm-hmm. doesn't look great. And um, so when did we actually figure out when it came out? Was it 2011? Uh, you know, it's I have the box in front of me, and I'm looking everywhere, and I don't see the actual date of release. Well, so it must have been there prior, because I I, okay. I I first got together with my wife at the end of 2011, and okay. she loved the movie, and she was like, mm-hmm. "You didn't see Insidious? She's like, you like horror movies? Like, you know, what is wrong with you?" Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, "It was it was super dope." I mm-hmm. believe she said it exactly like that, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I was like, "All right, so." I'll, I'll watch it, and because uh, it doesn't take much to watch a horror movie. A ton of, a lot of them are forgettable, but even horror movies that are okay are still like enjoyable to me. Like I just really love the genre, and it was interesting. It was different because it wasn't what I enjoyed about it. Is it really wasn't a horror movie? I mean, it 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 super was, except that there's no 
big fight. He doesn't do anything from the lipstick demon's past, you know, the man with there's he mm-hmm. doesn't defeat him in any way. He just it actually just turns into like a chase movie. Mm-hmm. Slash mm-hmm. slash like, you know, whatever robbery, like heist movie, Jack the Kid and Run. Mm-hmm. You know, he and I, I really liked it and, and the sort of genesis of the edit was like I, I really like the theatrical. I, I have no major beefs with it. I think it's a very good movie. My take was just like, well, I love basically the whole third act. I love once we get into the further and we realize like, oh, we're not dealing with just normal cheap scare stuff. Like we're going in some different direction and I'm on board. So the idea was to sort of trim some of the repetitive, typical horror fair stuff before you kind of know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Turn the third act into it essentially is just a two act movie because you get you find out what the further is and and all of that at like i don't know the 30 35 minute mark and it's like an hour 10 or 11 mm-hmm. so it kind of plays as two halves and i i just wanted to focus on that um because it was it was my favorite part um so was there was there excess when you first watched it and and felt like uh you know that's 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 wrong or that was a mistake and and that was the genesis of, of thinking about tackling this project. Was there a? Because um, typically for me, like after I watch a movie and decide, you know, I think I want to, I might consider editing that. It's because when I watched it, I noticed some of the fat as it was going on. Oh, I, I got you. And yeah, I realized that I forgot like a real critical detail. Like I just told you all the things why I loved Insidious, <laughs> but I forgot that I didn't have the. So the genesis of this project was I saw it follows. I saw it, like, I don't know if it was limited or not, but it was real early. It was 2014, February, March. Mm-hmm. And I I really liked that movie, and I love the score. Mm-hmm. And um, so originally, I was it just was like, I was like, that score, God, that should be with something. And I was like, then I just saw, thought of The Further and Insidious mm-hmm. and all of that stuff, and I was like, oh, my God, I think that'd sound great. And then I was like, oh well, I'm cutting Insidious, I should trim this up, you know, and that sort of got the ball rolling. Okay, Uh, so it started off with the idea of taking just the score from, replacing the score of Insidious with that of It Follows. Yes, I had not, I didn't, I I, I did not really know anything about fan editing when I saw Insidious, so it wasn't a case of I saw it and immediately Uh. it was like this, but when I saw It Follows, that was the movie that jumped to mind because I was like, I want to use this music somewhere. Like, I mm-hmm. love it. And it's not not as like it didn't work in Follows. I thought it did. I just fell absolutely in love with it and, and was it, like, I'd like to do something with it. And so it was with that when you went back to the, to when you started, when you cracked open Insidious to insert this movie and that's when you saw the opportunities to make further edits. Exactly. Yeah, I thought at first, I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll see if there's something to trim. And, and once I sort of, got going and was like oh you know it'd be cool to, to, to do this and focus on this and it, it's why it's a mix not a fix because you know in my edit foster is basically non-existent there's not a lot of light light moments you know those all mm-hmm. went but my my goal was like well let's make something a little darker a little quicker a little tighter get into the weird stuff quicker and sort of play less like a horror movie i, I think a three-act structure doesn't need to exist in a horror movie mm-hmm. sort of I mean, maybe mm-hmm. it's like a broad generalization, but like the thing about horror movies, is like it's the character development. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it's cool, but usually, like to me, it's always about the relationship with whatever the main big bad thing is, because hmm. you don't know about it. You're sort of slowly learn more about it. You get introduced with the to it. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's always about like the dynamic of you with the the things. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, well, yeah, this doesn't need to be three acts. It doesn't need to have any lighter moments. It doesn't need to focus on any sort of family stuff. We don't need to get into too much of the Josh drama, um, staying at work, staying out of work, drinking and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because. I think that the sort of the character is the further and the character is sort of Dalton's astral projection stuff. And, and to me, that that's the dynamic of the edit. So that's why it's a, a mix, not a fix, because the original is really good. This is very different in, in some ways. That right. And just to, clarif- s- just to clarify that terminology difference for people who, who aren't really hip to what we're saying, when, when we talk about fan editing, if we take a movie like, uh, let's say, Edge of Tomorrow and we just shave off the last you know, tw- two minutes and and maybe edit, you know, another, you know, 38 seconds somewhere in between to kind of give another flow. We're going to say that this is a fan fix, that we're fixing this movie and not radically altering it. Whereas a fan mix is where an editor comes in and does big overhauls to the overall feeling and dynamics of the movie to the point where you can't really, it, it crosses a, some kind of, you know, metaphysical line where you're not saying you're fixing something. It really is a completely different, uh, a, a, an enough of a, a different experience. And so your edit of Insidious crosses that line. And it enter and it's, uh, uh, just to clarify for the audience, it's not, it's, it's called, the original is Insidious, your edit is called? The Man with Fire on His Face. Right, right. So named for the man with fire on his face. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I have to say that your uh, your um, your outcome is very akin to what I went through with Blade Runner, um, where I originally the sole intention was simply to change the music from the Vangelis score to classical music. But in the process of doing that, it wasn't working, and I found so many other avenues of what I needed to cut to kind of make that work to the point where it probably does cross that line to the fan mix category. Um, I still label it fan fix because I don't really care for Blade Runner. I think it's boring. <laughs> so I think yes. it fixes it. <laughs> <laughs> See, I know I, I'm, I'm glad it came up. I, I love your edit, but I also think you touched on, I think if you say fan fix, it's an indictment. Yeah. I mean, it's still your opinion, but like a fan uh, fix is saying like, I, look, I think this movie could is, be better. Yes. If if something if I change some things about it and mix is sort of just like, I mean you're like I, I taking different stuff or you're like look this is cool I'm just trying to spin it around this way and let's do something weird with it or yeah. whatever, but your your Blade Runner edit was was super good and uh, if anybody is listening to this and didn't listen to that episode where you talked about that with your friends they should because it was awesome it, it was it was super detailed and and. It was very raw and honest, and yeah, I really liked your edit, so I well, found that fascinating. Well, thank you, but let's let's get the uh, let's do the details of your edit here. Um, I, I want to just from me, uh, you know, doing a light critique of what I saw. Um, I, re, I I watched Insidious last night, and then I watched your fan edit this morning. Um, some of the key uh, differences that I I really took a hold of was that I felt that. Your edit. Uh, well, let me talk uh, to 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 talk about Insidious real quick. For me, as I was watching, I felt like Insidious was a brilliant exercise in the jump scare. And um, I've seen movies that have jump scares, where the horror movies that have jump scares that just don't work. But Insidious is one of these movies where the jump scares absolutely work. And 
in some sense, that, that kind of irritates me because I always want to say jump scares are really cheap you know, ways of uh, making a horse, horror movie successful. But Insidious works, and primarily uh, it's because these jump scares work. So I'm sort of like I'm torn in this world where I, I, I have to respect the jump scares because it gets my blood pressure going and it works. <laughs> And on the other hand, I'm like, ah, I'm torn. Like, it's so cheap, but it keeps working. <laughs> so <laughs> James that, Wan knows what he's doing. Exactly. So that's uh, that's sort of my thoughts on that. Um, I, I, James Wan uh, also is the guy who directed Saw. And for all of the negative attention that Saw gets as a horror franchise, I think that's not fair for the considering the first one because the first one has um, – it's got horror elements, but it's also got that little bit of subtext where you're just like, oh, he, it's weird. The bad guy is sort of teaching a lesson, you know, <laughs> how a bad... psychological trauma drama. Exactly. I, I like that. I never heard that. It's a trauma drama. <laughs> I, just, I just made it up, but I like it too. Yeah. Get, get the bumper sticker. <laughs> um, uh, but Insidious, I don't think has that. It's, it's strictly uh, a, a brilliant exercise in the jump scare. So, Watching your edit, what I noticed a lot of was that jump scare stuff has been removed, and uh, some of this, of course, still remains. But the the tone of when you add the it follows score, the tone of it changes uh, changes the movie from to me it feels like it changes it from a a modern jump scare movie to something that feels like it could have come out of the seventies, where you have this kind of relentless pacing with the uh with the cuts and the music that's always driving forward and the characters are all of the characters are playing straight except for um the uh uh the tech guys that come in uh, in the third <laughs> well for lack of a better word the third act um, yeah really angus sampson and lee one the writer yeah. guy from saw yeah yeah he's an actor and he's one of the, he's one of those guys um so uh, I, I thought that was very interesting. I didn't expect the tone to change so much that I felt like it was from a different era of horror films. But I th- and which is interesting because It Follows is not... 2014. <laughs> exactly. It's not like it came from the 70s either. But I um, think what I fell in love with with that score is how much like that is clearly somebody who loves Carpenter and oh, loves yes. that stuff and is sort mm-hmm. of put a modern spin on it and mm-hmm. so i'm sort of really glad to hear that because yeah to me what i loved is just how delightfully you know nouveau retro is mm-hmm. that's a term that doesn't sound too douchey it probably does but mm-hmm. uh i that's what i liked about it i was like oh man that's that's awesome and yeah that was sort of i mean not to go off on a tangent here but that's why i decided to use goblin for the second one because i was like well let's go back to what inspired that and if I do the third one, I'll probably do Carpenter music. It, it just seems like that's... I like the thrusting sort of nature of it. I like... Because for, mm-hmm. for me, it's sort of... It's like penetrative. And, and mm-hmm. like the movie is about sort of brain penetrations. And it is it is sort of psychological. And it's these people who choose to try to erase and forget the, the, the thing that they do that's different. Mm-hmm. It continues to bite them in the ass. Because you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't try to forget... What, what makes you different one of the first things that I noticed about your edit um, is that you cut out a very large section of the opening um, 
there's the the scene with uh with the the Rose Burns character where she's sort of you know she wakes up early she's walking around the house she plays with the books she meets her uh, you get introduced yeah. to her she's playing son. the piano and whatnot that part the, well there's that that's a little bit later um but uh you know she talks with her son why is her son awake like all of that opening stuff um i think there's even an exchange or two with um with patrick's character and um he says something about being late because he's going to go to the uh, stay for a, a school meeting and all of that's cut out and what you you start off the movie with just the introduction of him returning from uh, well, you don't start off the movie per se, but the the plot, you know what I mean. <laughs> right. The plot gets yeah, started. It gets there quickly. <laughs> the the plot starts with them coming back, and there is some uh, narrative dialogue there where he's talking, where it's clear that they just moved into this house and they're still unpacking, and she doesn't know where her sheet music is. But anyway, the point I'm getting to, I wanted to ask about, is that that large chunk at, at the beginning that you decided to cut your what what was your you, did, was that something you you felt like was a, a slow introduction to the movie? You just wanted to get going? Or what was your thoughts there? So the the idea there, and, and no, I, I like most of that stuff, with the exception of Rose Byrne in the Attic, because it's repeated by Dalton 20 seconds later, and so mm-hmm. I don't like that. Other than that, I, I pretty much like most of that stuff. But that's in the theatrical cut, where the idea is here, let's set up the family, because we're following the family's emotional journey and sort of what, you know, how they collectively deal with the trauma... My goal was that the sort of it's not really about that, and so a lot of you know and and it maybe it's cold, but a lot of character stuff was gone because for me it's about it's about Dalton's relationship with his trauma and it's about Josh's relationship with his past, and so the rest was gone because I think if I put that stuff in, you wouldn't feel the sort of driving dread you that i mean i don't know i want to put words in your mouth but the that that you sort of feel with the edit is because we're not we're not focusing on them we don't you know i'm sure they're great people it sucks what happens to them but it's about the trauma that they experience and it's more about getting to the further and dealing unpacking that trauma mm-hmm. so i was more interested in that and that's why all that stuff goes it's not just for time because the movie's only an hour and a half to begin with you don't need to shorten it it didn't feel long but i think when you remove stuff like that positive stuff every joke you can think of in the theatrical cut is is sort of gone is Mm -hmm. that's how you create a sort of envelope of dread and that's sort of what i felt with it follows and why i love fell in love with the score and sort of what i was going for Hmm. um the it's funny like the the word that you're using dread um because it's for me like when i'm between the two edits one uh, I, I could think of like two different definitions of how that would play out. The thing that I dread in Insidious is knowing when the camera pans the corner, there's there's a potential jump scare there. But the dread that I feel in watching your edit is that it just has this air of creepiness. It's not the jump scare that's looming that 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 uh, that 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 feels gripping. It's the it's just the tone of the of the of the movie and the setting and these and where they are it, it, it's a different kind of dread um but uh i feel like the effect is different i don't know if that was intentional or not yeah well thank you yeah when i when i say dread i that's what i sort of mean i mean i i, I mean the the not dread like i i dread uh, i don't i'm not gonna love what's coming next or a, whatever an eye roll type of dread yeah I, I sort of mean in the in the sense of 
like 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 when they take people who are unconscious and play like those crazy bass tones that are inaudible and it makes them have a general sense of dread like the, mm. the dread of you watch a clockwork orange the dread you feel about the society like i mm. mean that the sort of just like uh, i don't know but it's not right i don't mm. you know what i mean where you yeah. just feel a little bit of discord and uh, discord or whatever and, and that yeah that's what i like that's what i think is interesting and the that's how I think the further feels, and so that's why the, mm. I wanted to mash that up with the music that I, I definitely got that vibe and feeling from. One of the things I I felt about Insidious is that um, one of the things that the jump scares it's not just you know the camera pans around a corner and you see something that shouldn't be there that kind of thing, but it's extremely uh, punched with the the score from Insidious, just a super loud banging, crashing noise or whatever to um, to emphasize that this is the scary part. Um, in your edit, you have that uh, with the It Follows score kind of uh, sort of a continuing through those moments. The only scare is the idea that's left over and the visual of it. You don't; it doesn't get hammered in like you better jump now. Uh, and um, I don't know. It, it, was that something that you that was a, a side effect that you wanted, or was that a, um, uh, a just a byproduct of hey, you know, if you're going to replace the score, then you're going to lose that impact. Yeah, it it was it was an idea because I guess. And I don't know, I've never sort of tried to put this into words before. But I guess what I really love about that piece that I used as a sort of driving theme is that it's not like a... Ah, what's going on? Like, it, and that's not a climax. It's an almost climax that keeps repeating, which throws off your sort of mental how you're supposed to feel about it because you keep waiting for it. And I really liked that feeling, and so I... I and I use that, and it's not sort of like, here's the scare at all, because it starts and it just drives for 20 seconds at a time, and you're like, okay, and, and if you look back at it, it's it's all parts where it's the lipstick demon in various forms. I was careful not to use it on the parts with the bride, um, which mm. I, we didn't talk about in Why I Love Insidious, but after seeing Insidious Chapter 2, the way they wove it into the first one, I, I absolutely loved. Mm. Um but so it was sort of it was that but but what i like about the feeling is that it's not a jump it's not a whole bunch of strings in a in a 4 second climax it's more mm-hmm. like and it just keeps going and that and then you you don't know how to take that and i was also sort of very careful to not i'd cut it out abruptly cuz i really wanted that disjointed feeling to stop mm-hmm. but i wouldn't cut it out abruptly when right after the scare happened. It wouldn't be a logical, boom, scare, down. It'd keep going for about four more seconds because the characters are continue to be freaked the fuck out <laughs> at whatever they saw. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It, was, it, it was intentional. I'm, I'm glad you, it, it sort of landed. I want to add on to that. The the jump scares... Okay, so, okay, uh, I'm thinking of one, one case in particular that happens early in the movie. Um, there's a scene where Rose Byrne is downstairs toying at the piano working out a song that she's writing and the baby monitor nearby starts to hear a, a creepy whisper um, this is in the theatrical cut uh, yep. and Insidious. Yep, yep. there's a there's a, a whisper that comes into the the monitor she hears it she stops playing she listens closely the whisper becomes more audible and at some point it yells something like uh, i forget what it is specifically something like take i'm gonna take him or something like that give him to me something like that 
and he yells it, the voice yells it, and then there's this extremely loud bang sound, which crosses the line between is that a sound effect that the Roseburn character is hearing, or is that the score making this more uh more impactful? Either way, uh it's it, to me it sounds like that's what she actually hears. And in the movie, she just runs upstairs and looks at the, the room with the, the, ch- the baby and there's nobody there. And it's just kind of like, oh, my God, that was crazy. The problem, the problem with that, I think, in the original is that when uh, her husband comes home or the fact that she didn't call the police, like there's somebody literally <laughs> in my house. Right. But uh, she, when her husband comes home, it's like one of the she brings it up at the very end, right before they're about to go to sleep. She's kind of like, oh, like there's some creepy stuff. I thought I heard a voice on the monitor, that kind of thing. And it's like that would not be the last thing I bring up. But, oh, by the way, <laughs> that would might, be like might be burying the lead a little bit. <laughs> I, I would have like grabbed the kids, drove to the school and said, you're not going to this thing. I can't believe there's somebody in the house. I, I, I'm not going back, you know. And uh, what the really what I'm getting at is that. In the original movie, the amount of the quality of the type of the jump scare is so is such a way that you feel like the characters should react to it differently. Whereas in your edit, because the jump scares are either erased or massaged over uh, with the score, um, the reactions to the characters of either staying in the in the house or working or whatever feels more uh, it doesn't activate that part of my brain that goes what what are you doing uh, <laughs> whereas in insidious it does uh, I think it's a that problem it's a problem with jump scares though right they work for a second and then your brain reacts because it's taken out of what it's doing and there's sort of no way to intellectually line those up without being disconnected for a second right well, I, I, the disconnect part is fine with me, provided that the characters look like they're experiencing the same thing <laughs> I'm experiencing. That's but when, fair. When she doesn't call the cops or she doesn't, uh, when she's just kind of like, okay, I just I guess I'll be home and just like, that was crazy. You know, like, no, that was like <laughs> the, probably the most scariest thing you've ever experienced in your life. Um, yeah, although it would soon be trumped by by a few things. No, you're right, true. and also I don't want to sound too negative about jump scares. Like I, I thoroughly enjoy the original because I think James Wan is freaking good at it. But mm-hmm. what he was doing in that was a setup, and then a takedown. Right, uh, Rose Byrne, uh, Renee or Renai, as it should be pronounced. <laughs> Super weird spelling. Spelling, yeah. But she goes up in the attic. Nothing happens. Dalton goes up in the attic. Something happens. Yeah, baby monitor. Nothing happens, and then the second time, there's the weird uh, dude with uh, standing looking, outside, you know, outside the, the window, the satin sheets. Yeah, yeah, and then I like that when they move and the, 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 the there's the little kid in the house. They don't. They act like they're going to tease you, but you get the payoff from the first time. But but yeah, she should be reacting like freaking the fuck out every mm-hmm. single one of those. Like mm-hmm. I feel like. If I think I hear something and I have a house that's like 60 years old and it makes complete sense, I'm mm-hmm. just like, well, I got to go see what that is. And then when my wife comes home, I'm like, ah, yeah, you should have seen me run around like an idiot because I, I could not figure <laughs> out what – you know what I mean? Like it's just – and if something actually seemed legit, like mm-hmm. voices in a monitor, mm-hmm. like I have a baby. She's napping. I'm looking at a baby monitor right now. Mm-hmm. If I heard some demonic speak and spell voice, like I – that would absolutely freak me the fuck out. And you might <laughs> – yeah, exactly, exactly. So – the point is, is that that part of my brain that uh, I felt was triggered in the mo- in the original is not in this in your edit, which I 
personally would consider an accomplishment. Um, the way you got rid of that in this particular case was you just erased <laughs> that entire exchange. Uh, it's yeah, just completely literal. deleted. Um, so the plot contra- uh, the plot point for her character that she's sort of a struggling, you know, singer songwriter uh, is not in your edit. Um, I have to say there was one little moment, and I understand after talking with you now, I understand your intentions of cutting out. But it was one of the few moments of levity in the movie that I really enjoyed. Was one of their scenes of pillow talk, where he's <laughs> he's doing his uh, you know writing a song about me kind of thing. Uh, I yeah. happen to, for some reason I, was, I felt that was particularly charming. Um, but I understand why that uh, ended up on the floor. <laughs> it is charming. There's actually like a second reason for that too. Oh, uh, that's because the door. Well, well, oh, okay. Actually, yeah. Third reason, because in in chapter two, which I'd already seen, obviously when I started working on this edit, so like this was not a shock. I really wanted to do it. In chapter two. He doesn't remember... Now, spoilers for Insidious Chapter 2, although seriously, <laughs> why would you be listening to this if you have that little interest in it? <laughs> or or you're not going to see it. Mm-hmm. But like when Josh doesn't recognize her song that she wrote for him, the only way that's believable if it's like some dumb thing she wrote back in college mm. that didn't land with him, because she doesn't immediately say, holy shit, you must be a fucking demon. How on earth do you not remember the song I wrote for you? Like, if I forgot the song that I, like, the first date song or the Mm. movie I went on a date with, with my first date with my wife, I'd be dead. Like, there's no way that somebody would, that she wouldn't just immediately be like, well, what is wrong with you, you crazy demon fuck? Like, how do you not remember the song I wrote for you? So, Mm. honestly, if we set her up as a songwriter and we talked in detail about the song in, in the first one, it doesn't make sense there, whereas I think it only makes sense that she doesn't completely freak out. She does certainly start to suspect at that point. That only makes sense if it's like a poem you wrote in in college and like, yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I remember that one, honey. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. It's awesome. They should have recorded it. So actually, you're, uh, so your original intent of cutting out that scene is because of how it's handled in the sequel. Um, Probably more like something like a, because it's never like well, it's not never, but it's not usually one thing, but it also doesn't, that one, it starts with them talking about the part I cut out, and so Ooh. once oh, I decided I didn't, sense, yeah. yeah, and then also there's no levity in it, and then also, you know, it does it, it works better later if it's not there. It, you know, I couldn't tell you the order of those three thoughts, but they, you know, it's usually a few reasons. When you start cutting stuff, it's not, it's never like a binary thing. It, it, it's mm-hmm. always like one thing you change affects. It's a ripple effect. It's a butterfly mm-hmm. effect across the whole plot. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's usually a bunch of things that lead you to keep stuff or ditch it or whatever. Well, one of the uh, interesting side effects of that cut was that in the original, they're upstairs having the pillow talk or whatever. And then there's this very loud knocking on the door. And it's, it's, it's unmistakably loud. And he runs downstairs to check on the door, and there's nobody there. Um, and your, the, one of the problems, one of the challenges that's in the original Insidious is that uh, his character, is his name Josh? Is that what he said is? Josh, yeah. Josh. Josh's character sort of fluctuates between um, this, is, this is terrifying, we need help, to this is just all in your head. And... Um, and never really kind of gets on board until until the plot needs him to the screenplay needs him to um yeah. and uh and what your edit does is it it removes that part of it where he 
he is slowly kind of getting introduced to all the, the the crazy stuff and he doesn't do this it's they don't have that's all in your head part of the plot and the way that works um, is that you if you take away a lot of the super ridiculous uh, terrifying jump scare type things then there's less of his character to sort of double back on and going this is not possible um, so when you removed that uh, that the loud knocking of the door you, you, there was a sound that made him come down to the door but I think that that was tied into what his, the, the baby brother was experiencing uh, at the same time um, well ex- exactly and that's actually that's a small thing that is so weird to me is that if you watch the theatrical cut uh, Dalton's brother his name I don't even remember that's yeah. how little he matters in this yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ful- Fulton Maybe. whatever I, I Dalton whatever. is Fulton <laughs> That actually might be it. I don't know. <laughs> the kid from Jurassic World's brother. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, he he like uh, sees like Dal- he like sees Dalton uh, sit up, and then he doesn't freak out then. And then there's like a whoosh sound, and then he freaks out. And then after that, there's like the knocking on the door. And I was like, why on earth isn't the knocking on the door the thing that makes him freak out? Like, it makes no sense that it's 2.5 seconds away from making complete and logical oral mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, and 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 Josh's Josh's character is, you know. It's more about how he reacts and, and his past. Like he's not I'm not that interested in what he's going through, what his character is until we find out that he has been he has locked up his past or his past has been locked up for him and then it's really interesting to see how that affects everything from there. And up to that point, uh you know, when he goes back and forth it also makes it like you know, it's like really, and then in the second one, it's even weirder when he's like going back and forth again. And I know he's like possessed, so he's purposely going back and forth. But then it makes less sense that mm. Renee of Rose Byrne is not mm-hmm. like, what are what is wrong with you, dude? Do you not remember everything that happened like four months ago? Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it just makes it add up a little bit less well. Mm-hmm. Um, the um. Uh, one of the things I also noticed that w- as it was unfolding in, in this movie, uh, as they start to believe that the house is haunted, she requests that they move. Um, and they do, and they end up uh, in the house. I thought it was Barbara Hershey's house, like her character's house, but it's not. It's just at least oh, she's just there. Because she's, the she's there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, while they're in that house, there there's a couple of significant modifications one is um when and uh, one is when they when you edit the um uh the scene of the little the the, the boy uh playing singing uh, dancing at the record right you, the tiny tim is gone the tiny tim is gone you replace that with the um with the uh, the it follows score and uh i thought that was it was i i, I as it was happening i was like this is not working because there's no way that that record player is playing this music and uh and then then it started working because that's what that's the feeling that you need to be hearing you don't need this uh the the conflict between the uh or the the irony if you will between the tiny tim's and what you're seeing 
are you saying? Are you saying? Just, I'm sorry, just to clarify. So you're saying like the feeling went from like this is what is actually being played in the room to like this is just permeating the feeling, and I don't, I'm not thinking about it no, as that, much because well, it I, doesn't make it doesn't make logical sense that it plays Tiny Tim any more than it plays you know Detroit but, <laughs> from It Follows, right? Log- uh, logistically, just purely logistically. Well, I think uh, um, the. Uh, it what I, okay when I I had just watched the original so when the record skips my I'm like okay well it's gonna go to Tiny Tim and that's what the record is playing Tiny Tim and um, but I guess what you're actually saying right now is that even in the original <laughs> Tiny Tim never played. Is that what no, you're... no, no, no! I'm saying it did. I'm saying it makes as much sort of logical sense in the in the world that is happening on the, the screen that you're watching. Like it doesn't yeah. make sense that it plays Tiny Tim any more, more than, than any other random eh, song. Well, except that Tiny Tim is probably on a record somewhere, and I don't know if Detroit for him it follows is. But the point is, <laughs> first off, it is, and I am. Yeah. But second okay. off, your point <laughs> is well taken. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, is that uh, I, I, I think my expectation was that it was going to be some, you know, Tiny Tim, and right. the, the, it doesn't matter. The point is, uh, it, I, I was I was caught off guard how well it worked. That's that's where I was getting at. So cool. I was coming. I like I Tiny just... Tim. I actually like Tiny Tim a lot, mm-hmm. and I think it works best as the first time you ever hear Tiny Tim is when you first see the man with fire on his face in mm-hmm. his home, mm-hmm. in his lair. Mm-hmm. It's creepy as hell, mm-hmm. and it's still creepy in the original. But it's less creepy when it's a callback to something we saw earlier. Mm-hmm. That you know what I mean? I, I I I like it. I like it there. And then they way overused it in all marketing from there on forward. <laughs> that's that's neither here nor there. It's sure. super creepy as a one-off. Like when we see him in his home lair chilling before he even knows what's going on. So, this is the kind of creepy shit he listens to. Just I like cu- that. <laughs> well, just for curiosity's sake, when you were decided, when you had decided to replace the Tiny Tim score there, did you consider putting another kind of replacing with other kind of music, or did you just default to it follows? I, I considered other things, but uh, I don't know how to. I mean, I don't know. I'm not the world's biggest music guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I. I really love music in movies. Music outside of movies I don't listen to a terrible amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like a lot of things, but mostly things that haven't been made since 1998. And so f- I did think about some other stuff, but everything I thought of, and I threw it, my wife is awesome at suggesting stuff musically because she's a music nut, mm-hmm. but she's a super modern music nut. So mm-hmm. everything just didn't, playwright because i did think i was like ah, i'd be cool to use something that's not you know the soundtrack to it follows which only really has i think 13 songs so it's thin mm-hmm. and i had to reuse a lot but mm-hmm. i think if you think about or at least my hopefully i thought about where i used it enough that it's you know to kind of connect things so it's less feels like oh you're just playing the same fucking song and more mm-hmm. like oh this is sort of a, a this is a similar thing to what happened earlier with this Mm-hmm. Um, so I did actually try other stuff. Can't even remember stuff I considered, but most old timey stuff mm-hmm. that I thought of was just like, okay, you're just changing it for no reason, and then it makes no sense when Tiny Tim is playing later. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's more like a weird. Is this related to that? Like why? You mm-hmm. know? 
Uh, that was I, the idea. I, I get that. Uh, I went through similar, you know, things, whether it was Blade Runner or Oblivion, where you you have an opportunity to change music, and uh, uh, and you might cycle through ten or twelve different. Um, uh, choices before coming back to something that's probably like very close to what was in the original or if it is different it's uh, it was an interesting exercise to kind of end up at one place compared to another um, I happen to notice that in in that sequence as well um, as she has uh, gone outside the house and um, she sees the little boy kind of dancing there and then she's walking back there's that scene there's also um, uh, another scene that happens earlier in the movie when the score has kicked in that um, uh, I noticed this uh, as well and then it happens at least another time maybe another two times later on in the film um, where the score has come in and, uh, and to some effect it, 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 it's uh, I'm, I'm a little I wanted to ask you about this I'm trying to figure out what, what part is intentional and what part is just a technical hurdle but in those moments the sound effects drop out and uh, I know a lot of times when you're working with an edit that the center channel, which has all your sound effects, sometimes has a lot of bleed over of, of the score. And so by removing the score, you, uh, by virtue of that, end up removing a lot of sound effects. Um, I wanted to ask you from a technical side, what was your experience in sort of working with um, uh, the audio channels cause in this uh, edit? Um, so... I think I I don't think I would have attempted the edit if it hadn't been a pretty clean center channel because it you know it's kind of hit or miss or I guess I'll, I'll recap here for for folks who don't know uh, when you when they put the audio in the channels you I hate to say it but you're you're sort of it's just left the chance with how weird or lazy or whatever the hell people decided to do sometimes you get dialogue in a very clean channel in the center all the music is on the other channels sometimes you don't i don't know about you bezo my experience it's i don't know maybe roughly 50 50 as far as mostly clean to to to, to not clean at all when it's not clean at all if you want to replace the score you're gonna be replacing a lot of sound effects and stuff this was not a clean clean but it was a mostly clean mm -hmm. um it really only bled into the center channel on the, the bigger swells mm -hmm. of music which wasn't a huge deal because i removed a lot of the instances where that sort of happens and the times i didn't i tried to make them I, tried to make it so it sort of works with it and mm -hmm. you wouldn't notice but if then if you really think about it you're like oh yeah every time i heard a violin that probably would have been <laughs> the original but uh it's pretty minimalized throughout um so it i did do some sound replacement there weren't there wasn't there were, there were not a ton of scenes i had to do total sound replacement but there were a lot of not a lot there were f some moments like when they run up um, after um, Josh's mom is like, it's real, and then she sees the demon right behind him, and then they mm -hmm. hear all this crazy shit upstairs, and they run upstairs. Mm -hmm. When they, most of that was just so string heavy that, you know, and I did the the papers flipping around or whatever, and mm -hmm. you know, I mean, sometimes you, I don't know, you hate to say these things. If you watch it again, you'll probably think it sounds light when the papers are flying around, but. 
hopefully you don't. So did you have? Uh, but there to... weren't a ton of moments. It was mostly mostly clean. Mostly clean. Did you? Uh, did you? Were you forced at some point to actually recreate sound effects and rebuild some of those uh, channels? Uh, yes, just just in a just a couple uh, just a couple of spots. The one I told you about um, just now was one, and mm-hmm. uh, oh, you know what? Actually, sorry, that was chapter two. I think when a, a car pulls up, you know, some some car sounds and whatnot. It mm-hmm. wasn't a huge problem specifically with the first one because the score is so driving that you know sometimes things are an excuse sometimes it's just a happy marriage but mm-hmm. like I, I this the point of this was for the score to drive in your head so it's sort of that's why i didn't really care when the violins bled through a little bit because mm-hmm. as long as i sort of line up the musical beats it sounds pretty good i think mm. um and the, the couple of spots where i had to recreate sound effects wasn't a big deal because the, the, i mean the score is just banging in your brain and i know from what i've read that's you know that's not for everyone for some people it's a little overpowering but for me it's the it's the that i it was the idea was to make it the sort of driving emotional yeah. narrative almost or the beat of it you mentioned uh, a, a scene that i wanted to talk to you about um there is that the moment with the kid and her running around the house trying to find it and she ends up the, the cuts with her in tears uh, or ends with her in tears and then it cuts to a scene of her, um, uh, Barbara Hershey's character and Patrick's character all talking. And Barbara Hershey is sort of giving, hey, there's more to this than you know kind of thing. I've seen it. I had a dream, et cetera, et cetera. And it's in that scene in the original that ends with her uh, seeing the man with fire on his face, you know, behind Patrick and then cutting to all of the craziness that's happening upstairs Um in the uh, in their kids room, in uh, Dalton's room, um, yeah. you did a lot of a you did a pretty big hatchet job on that scene. Yes, yes, well, pretty big. Well, I don't know if it still flowed for you, but um, I guess the idea was that L- Lorraine's dream is is pretty good. I mean, I mean, she's she's a great actress, and like the scene's good, but it's. I don't know. It, I don't want this to feel like a default answer, but it doesn't feel like it belongs in what I was going for. Mm-hmm. My thing there is that we just want confirmation that, like, okay, nobody is crazy. <laughs> She's like, you're not crazy. Some shit's going on. And from there on out, the only thing I need is for him to appear and them to go to Dalton because we. I, I sort of focused it. Uh, it's hard to focus on a dude in a coma. but like but like he's sort of the anchor for everybody else's plot mechanisms Mm -hmm. so the goal is to get back to that and like i don't know i don't question anything renee or josh or lorraine do you know maybe some some character motivations are gone but for the most part it makes sense because we viscerally just understand parent child dynamics i mean Mm -hmm. yeah kid or not it's like well it's not weird that a parent's doing some crazy shit out of concern for their kid um and sort of so i i don't think we needed as much of that because for my purposes i wanted to to keep the feeling not light and 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 a little heavy and Mm -hmm. you know that that sort of thing if that makes Uh, sense i also think that that edit uh 
was interesting because when you later on in the picture when she does have another bit of a monologue where she explains um, that uh, Josh has did the astral projecting thing as a kid um, in the original it feels like um, like we're it's a double down like why didn't we have this conversation earlier but because you bypass it uh, the first time around it feels like that's the appropriate time to have that conversation. Um, I don't know if that was a, a happy, a happy coincidence or a happy, um, you know, coincidence of wanting to knock out the the pacing originally. But it, from a, from a character standpoint, I felt that that I, I, when I first watched the original, I was like, why didn't she say all this earlier? You know, <laughs> right? She, you know, and now that they, that scene is uh, is cut short or yeah, cut short, then um, uh, uh, I didn't have that thought. So I. I Intentional or not, I actually enjoyed not having that uh, be very elaborate. Cool. Um, yeah, and you know, this is actually a decent point to, to jump off into a, a very general comment on zero-sum games and plot narratives, because why mm-hmm. not? It's a fan-edited podcast. Mm-hmm. But a lot of stuff that you remove from things or add from things... And a lot of it you love. Like, it's stuff... That you can take out stuff that you love, but... And, and and you can focus on the trees and say, well, I love that, I wish that was there. I love that, I wish that was there. I love that, I wish that was there. And that all is a normal thing, and certainly if you've never seen the end product, like when you're talking about stuff that happens, but when you cut stuff out, it changes the way you feel about everything that comes later. And one of the things that bugged me about insidious is that it does just you know the, the what the the trade-off for you getting some great james wan jump scares and some good character work by a ton of great actors i mean you could put all these people on the theater mm-hmm. and they'd be good uh, is that it just takes longer to get to stuff which seems weird when you cut that stuff out it does seem more natural and logical that, and that was my idea between taking the third act and making it the second half of the movie. Is like you shouldn't take that long to figure out what the fuck is actually going on here. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more interesting once you do. So I think you get that. I don't somewhere around the thirty thirty five minute mark mm-hmm. of an hour ten fifteen minute edit. So it's like it, exactly it makes more sense. Like part of the bypass of cutting all that stuff is that it doesn't seem weird that like Renee is dealing with seven different things that would freak you out Mm -hmm. and not doing anything it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like josh is doubting things after Mm -hmm. the 17th time and Mm -hmm. like she hands him a bloody fucking handprint and at that point he's like let's move (laughs) like that's what you would do actually wife gave me a bloody handprint (laughs) it wouldn't take a whole lot after that for me to be like you know maybe i don't believe in ghosts (laughs) but let's just put the house on the market anyway and see what happens you you're you're alluding uh you're you're actually leading up to what i thought was uh my favorite bit of editing that you did in this or favorite cut that you did in this um by almost by virtue of the fact that insidious got this moment wrong and you corrected it um yes they go upstairs there is just absolute chaos a bunch of stuff is happening they finally crack open the door and the room is in shambles and there's that bloody handprint is back and their son is still unconscious on the ground and that is clearly the demarcation line or should be the clearly the demarcation line for anybody in the movie between Roseburn and Josh and whoever to say okay we're dealing with exorcist level stuff right 
So the very next shot is the very next scene is them getting introduced to the uh, paranormal psychology or paranormal guys. Um, and uh, then they have they they do their little testing of the house, and I think I don't know if you really cut much from that. I think that all was pretty much intact from the original. Um, Mostly intact. Uh, I leave out the stuff about the future, the future book deal. Oh, that's <laughs> right. But that's minor. I like yeah. those guys, and yeah. I shouldn't have said earlier there's no levity because I do leave some of their levity in. But yeah, it's just because I like it, and it <laughs> also it's funny in the sense of like they're laughing. Okay, let's go deep here. Laughter is a primal response that goes all the way back to when it was our way of certifying that there was no danger, right? Mm. So we thought that there was something in the edge of the trees attacking us when we were cavemen, and our way to signal to the group that there was nothing was laughter. So that's why nervous laughter is like my – it's my, the best human response. It's the most interesting to me. Mm. Things are funny – in the context of how terrible everything else is that aren't funny in any other way. It's why when someone says something super awkward or super, you don't know what else to do but laugh. It's because our, our laughter as an autonomous response is based on like feeling weird relief. And that's what horror movies play at. Uh-huh. They play at you and play at you and play at you and then they pay off in one way or the other, bad or good. But it's all about, <laughs> you know what I mean? Nervous laughter is uh-huh. absolutely a thing that exists. People make jokes about the most horrible of topics because it's how we can emotionally process things. And so I know this is a really weird, deep jumping off point, but that is that is why their humor works for me and none of the rest does in, in what I was going for. I, I I would second that, and I, I'll go a little bit further. My I remember experiencing that on a very visceral level when I went to go see uh, Paranormal Activity in the theaters. <laughs> um, I watched this in the theater. I don't know if it was opening night or the second weekend. But anyway, it was a crowd full of people, myself included, who really had no idea what we were getting into. And Paranormal Marketing acti- was good leading up to that. Paranormal Activity is one of these movies that, I, like Blair Witch for me, is like I think they're exceptionally well-made horror movies that, for whatever reason, a lot of people have jumped on some kind of unnecessary hate train. But watching that movie, uh, Paranormal Activity, um, there are the 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 sense when they're when they when they when the movies when the movie cuts to those those moments those scenes where. It's just the footage of them in bed, and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting for. You, you, it's just like this mount. Like we talk about dread here, you know. It's just mounting and mounting, and then something happens, and it scares the hell out of everybody. And I remember very specifically that after every single time when something like that was finished and like it was kind of done, everybody in the theater laughed. There was this this weird cathartic what else do you laughter. Do? <laughs> Well, it's like you would think like you kind of hold your breath and like you would like you imagine you would hold your breath and kind of shrink down and just kind of get more uncomfortable. But the counteract to that was the laughter. And I remember because that's your default. Well, you haven't you you haven't figured out how to process it. Right. Yeah. It's a a fascinating uh, reaction. And I, I never put the idea that these guys, you know, sort of helps play that role. Uh, but in a sense, they absolutely do. You're totally right. Because they come in into the movie well after we have already gone through all of this. And yes. 
And so they're, you know, of course, that's how they're going to, they're going to be like, well, it's probably just, you know, electrical waves, microwaves, whatever. You're like, are you serious? You don't, you don't know what's going on here. <laughs> and, but you appreciate that they're coming in at this kind of lethargic level and that kind of, like, kind of lets you kind of cope with, uh, with what you're going through. So, uh, I yeah. hadn't considered that, that, uh, exchange before, but I think you're totally right there. Yeah, I think, I mean, in the in the second film, they actually sort of overtly point out, which I really love. It's like, boy, you, when they go to Elisa's house, like, you'd think with knowing what we know about how everything works and that there's stuff after death, like, this would be a lot less fucking creepy. And I mean, it's <laughs> not a direct quote, but that, that's the gist. And, yeah. But I like that. And I think it's gallows humor you know Ooh. exists. And obviously, they're not making very dark jokes. They're actually quite silly sort of buddy comedy jokes mm-hmm, but in, the con- mm-hmm. in the context they absolutely come off that way mm-hmm. um to to kind of get to circle back to where i was going uh with this uh particular cut that i enjoyed in the original the like i said they go upstairs with the bloody handprint the room's in shambles the kid is in a coma on the ground they're freaking out they call the uh, the paranormal guys that come in, they have their moment of figuring out, yes, this is a place, the crazy-ass place. They call um, the blonde-haired lady. What's her name? Elise. Elise. Yeah. Elise, yeah. Who, so who's... Th- was they, go, of, they, go, they go ahead of time to scout, right? To make yeah, sure exactly. it's not bullshit electrical stuff or yeah, yeah. what have you. So Elise comes in. She's the Zelda of this movie. <laughs> and and uh, that's a little Poltergeist reference for all you youngins. Um not, not. I wasn't making a video game <laughs> joke. Um, so she comes in and does. Uh, she has her ex- her experience, and at some point, uh, the following scene after that is she has a conversation with them and to the audience, basically saying, "Okay, here's what we're dealing with," and that's when we get introduced to the concepts of the further and the people who are dead who um, want to be alive again and the astral projection and all of the all of the basically the backstory yeah. uh that and is the demon too the demon too and so the we demon know we're, well. we're not dealing with one of those ghosts who wants to come back yeah and it's in that in that scene uh in the original uh Josh's character at the end of it stands up and goes i uh, this y'all are just preying on the weaknesses of other of scared people and i'm not buying into this and that's like are you shitting me? Do you remember <laughs> the room that you couldn't get into that you walked into and there's bloody handprints and your son on the ground and you're going to sit there and tell them that they're the ones who are trying to... Are you kidding? Yeah. Like, How long did it take him to change his mind? Oh, all he had to do was walk in his kid's room and like yeah. see pictures, but still... The, exactly. The, that's why that's gone. <laughs> the on. point is like you, 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 you take the end of that scene and start it with the... Uh, you know him. Bring, obviously, they invite her back and they get started. And that cut was for me one of the most satisfying cuts because I was I was dreading not the fearful dread but the dread that that scene was still going to be there, <laughs> and uh, I, I was very thankful that that was removed. And yeah, it's one thanks. of those it's one of those things where uh, it, it's one of those things that you, I, I I take a step back. And it's one of the more obvious this shouldn't be here kind of moments that um, I wonder why James, the director and the writer, surely they're smart enough to realize that this is un, un, uh, unfeasible for this character to think this. Um, or did they not? Uh, 
like I don't understand what the thought process was for keeping that in there, except that you do see a lot of times, and you know, especially when you start approaching the third act of a movie, which you're right, this one doesn't quite follow uh, a three act structure, but still, the back twenty minutes of a movie is that you have the characters, you know, having an answer and then having that answer taken away from them, uh, and having to come up with a different answer, and sort of it, um, it plays to that a little bit, but it's so. Okay, we're gonna. We have where we're going. Nope, we're gonna walk away. Okay, and then we're gonna come right back. And it feels like such a cheap, uh, a cheap ploy for a little bit of conflict and drama resolution. That um, I, I don't know. It's I, I, it's one of those things that I would ask the director, like, really, dude, why is this in here? <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm the biggest apologist for everybody who makes movies because it's so fucking hard i imagine from mm-hmm. and so i guess what i'm getting at is like obviously that would be a question to ask and i i just sort of feel like if you ask james Wan that question he would sigh because he would remember the stupid meeting with fucking jason <laughs> bloomer he's like look you need to get a little bit of back and forth here so that it's a you know and and he's just like oh, it's fucking stupid but fine if you give me that i'm give me this and you know, I, I I don't know. I'm always an apologist for these guys. I know it's such a such a hard process, but I feel like I agree. It's stupid, and it's. I guess he's good enough that it didn't. At least when I saw it back in the day, it felt annoying. But it wasn't like I don't know something that three years later I'd be like, yeah, I can't believe that stupid fucking part. I can't wait to cut that. Uh, I didn't feel that way about much of anything except for the prelimatic scare because I think foreshadowing that is silly but um but your edit when you cut that whole uh episode that whole sequence well okay to be totally fair uh from a narrative standpoint uh him going back and seeing the painting the 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 drawings of uh, his son do come back uh, as visual cues when he's inside the further to kind of tie in the audience that he knows we know that he knows that his son has been here before um, so there is that sort of plot thing, um, but the the part of him just uh, it just seems unbelievable that he would be somebody who would question what's going on next. Uh, I just felt like your edit was so was such an obvious this is the right move that it strikes me that uh, that uh, it wasn't done by the uh, by by the filmmakers themselves. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop arguing for James Wan and just thank you. <laughs> thank you, but... <laughs> yeah, it just, you know, horror movies, and it's odd, too, because it's it's a little easy to pick on illogical things in horror movies, not to the point where it's not worth doing, because it certainly is, especially in this case, mm-hmm. but, like, nobody basically acts the way you should or a normal person would in horror movies at all. But when a lot of things are right and the emotion is right or the way it makes it feel is right or something about it is right, we don't care. Mm-hmm. We only care when we notice. And what makes us notice is nothing else interesting going on or no sort of Ooh. reason that jumps out or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it is it is dropping the ball in the theatrical cut because there's no reason for that. Like, it doesn't... 
some stuff that doesn't make sense, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, it doesn't make sense that there's no wall in Jurassic Park, but that, you know, the T-Rex <laughs> scene's great. And I know that's the easiest example in the world to call <laughs> upon, but, like, the point is, when it's right, it's right, and it's fine. But but there's no reason to break logic here. There's no There's no reason that it works. Like, if they had broken logic with, like, in the second movie, I mean, it breaks logic that Renee doesn't think that that Josh is a homicidal maniac 20 minutes in, but the reason is like, okay, we accept a muted sense of her accepting that fact because mm. it basically is the entire thrust of the this movie. dramatic narrative that we mm -hmm. like, and so you know, I mean I yeah. didn't attempt to reduce that, but it works it works as long as the, it's worth it, mm -hmm. which is you know, a general <laughs> thing to say but sort of true so um, so they have, okay, so you know, so they decide to bring her in. They're going to move forward, and they do the the, the first seance kind of thing. Um, one of the things that I, I really uh, grabbed a hold of, I, I think it was a very interesting side effect of you changing the score, was um, when the uh, when it gets to the point where they um, where he calls out, you know, Dalton. And the camera pans over to Dalton's bed, and he's not there. The camera pans back, and we see him uh, in standing there next to the table. Um, when that happens, uh, in, the, uh, in the original, there's a very loud uh, musical cue, of course, to scare you, because it, you know you one of those switch pans, and he's in the center of the frame kind of thing. And he slams his hand down on the table, and it creates this sort of energy burst that um, uh, makes everybody fly off in different angles, uh, sort of like in a concussive wave kind of thing. Um, one of the things that was, uh, because the score is different and you don't have that strong musical, you should be scared moment, uh, it almost transcended horror a little bit, and I almost felt like I was feeling I was watching a sci-fi movie. <laughs> and and uh, and I was like, wow! Like the sci-fi buttons are getting pushed here. And when that happened, uh, there I I started to have like this sort of weird acceptance from of the further this Umbra like world that the movie creates, and almost in a sci-fi like setting, like believing it and making it work in a different in setting altogether. All because the music in that one little moment <laughs> is different. And yeah. I don't know if, if you noticed <laughs> that or not, or took or felt differently watching that scene with the different music, like something like that. I mean, yes and no. I the, your takeaways from that are so detailed. That's freaking awesome. Uh, it is in a sense because it's it's a movie about people with abilities, which is mm. kind of the most sci-fi-ish thing there is, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. um, but. My, my take on the way that that played out, and I'm glad you noticed, there, there are some subtle trims in that, that that may not be clear, but but the idea is that it shouldn't, I don't want to say it shouldn't, I like the theatrical, it's actually a cool scene, but what I'm going for here is, it's not terrifying that, oh my god, he's right by them. Mm -hmm. It's that he's right by them, and that should be, whoa, what the fuck is going to happen next? That should be. <laughs> that's what's crazy because he's mm -hmm. up. He's about. This scene is just getting started. So mm -hmm, grab, mm -hmm. you know, grab some popcorn and see what's going to happen. It's less about 
jump out of my seat that he's there because he's there and this scene's gonna go on and like it, it's it's boom 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 he's there he's have dread what is going on I, you mm-hmm. know that's that's at least what what i i tried to trim things just to because it was less interesting to me that any particular part in that continuum of emotions was a distinct staccato or whatever Mm -hmm. you know a distinct Mm -hmm. emphasis and just more like a boom 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 Mm -hmm. boom boom Mm -hmm. and then when it when it ends the lights come on it's a happy ending sure okay great it's over except what the fuck just happened what does Mm -hmm. this mean how on earth is any of this going to make sense from here on forward like Mm -hmm. it, it there's no there's no relief from the dread uh, I, I'm reminded of uh, the review that I remember reading of Roger Ebert's of Paranormal Activity, or not Paranormal Activity, but uh, Blair Witch Project, where he says the thing that Blair Witch gets right is that a witch in the forest who's hunting you down is not nearly as scary as the idea of a witch in the forest hunting you down. And um, that little tiny moment of where he hits the... Uh, he slams his palm on the table and it creates this burst uh, with your musical choices um, uh, pushed it over to the edge to this thing where it's like it's not just scary that we're seeing this but the idea of this happening yeah and, and the music is just kind of getting going when he hits so yes, you don't exactly. feel like this is a this is a this finale is not the end. This, is yeah. a, this isn't a mortal combat finish him blow this is mm-hmm. this is just a an hors d'oeuvre mm-hmm um, I will say this though, in, in the original, and unfortunately, and in your edit too, uh, just because it's the material you have, the scene that follows this is the two, um, the two tech guys in the kitchen, kind of discussing the the material that they have, and he says something about like having three cameras on and nothing catches anything, and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just like, wait a second, the room is in shambles. You, you had cameras going. Surely you caught something of people flying around, everything. Like, the way that, that that's presented in the movie, you would think that those two would be talking about having the most exciting YouTube videos of all time. <laughs> and instead, it's like, well, this one picture, we have a frame of him in the shot, you know? And uh, I think that that was a, a mistake uh, from the filmmaker's side. Or at least it should have been a better... All of all of the electronics went out, or something, you know. And the only thing that worked was this digital camera, or something. I, I wish that that was handled a little bit better because the whole point of these guys doing what they're doing is to create, you know, the archives so that they can do their book and take it out to the public, etc., and convince the world this stuff is real. And you had probably the most. You had all this equipment. You had the light bulbs going off. You had everything was set up. You knew what was going to happen. And there's no sort of cathartic sort of release from them saying we didn't get it you know maybe this stuff will never be on. I don't know I just felt like yeah. that's one of those scenes that I wish was handled differently uh, see see, that's interesting that, that's a different perspective I kind of I kind of hadn't thought of it that way sort of I, I guess for me there's not much to demonstrate that these guys are actually good at anything that they're doing hmm. you, you know what I mean because because they come in we see them for the first time. They come in and they're like testing for whether or not this is bullshit. And w- and one of them's like, yeah, it is. One of them's like, eh, eh. and then he sees some shit and is like, let's call Elise. So it doesn't really seem like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess just for me, it's like these guys seem like they're helpful, 
but they never seemed particularly competent, so I, it sort of didn't bother me that none of it worked. And also, I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe this is just like explaining away something that didn't emotionally work, but but Elise had never dealt with something that wasn't one of these human things wanting mm. to come back. When so she, it's a little more she, normal. When, yeah, when what she felt in that room and what immediately sort of made her serious the fuck up if i can make a verb out of mm-hmm. the word serious is that like this was this was a completely malevolence but when she's describing it and using you know the titular term insidious and all that stuff it's mm-hmm. not something that she's like yeah yeah i've dealt with you know a bunch of these things it's like a this is not your average ghost shit <laughs> for whatever <laughs> that's worth in that world mm-hmm. um so i don't know i guess i hadn't sort of considered it from that mm-hmm. perspective because that's sort of what made it Hand wavy, magic logicy, mm-hmm. or movie logicy, sort of not really sink into my brain mm. as, as a problem. Mm. Um, following that, we do get the scene where Barbara Hershey comes back and explains uh, uh, Josh's um, astral projecting as a kid, and um, which sort of you know puts him over the edge or convinces him to do the astral projecting himself to go into the the further. Uh, in order to go get um, to really ha- to to initiate the the climax of the movie, um, and um, I'm not remembering a whole lot of changes that you implemented at that point. Um, they, you know, he he sits down on the chair. He has the same kind of moment where he stands up and realizes he's in the uh, in the further and. It walks through it and gets all the way to um, uh, to the layer, I guess, if you will, of uh, of the man with fire on his face. Which is he ever named in any of the sequels? Do you know? Um, so he is officially credited as the lipstick demon. Oh, okay. Um, because you know he's kind of putting lipstick on his face in his hmm. in his home lair. Where the title came from and where I got the man with fire on his face is that is what is written when um, Lee Winnell, what is his name, uh, Specs is writing out Elise's stuff, you know, to make the sketch before he makes a sketch when he's writing out everything that's said. Right, it's um, a description of the guy from, I think, uh, yeah. Duncan's point of Dal- view. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. That's why I kind of liked it as the title, because it's Dalton's description of this man. Like, he clearly doesn't have fire. He just has red Yeah, fire. yeah, yeah. It's, um, Dalton, it's Dalton's perception of him, which is, you know, sort mm-hmm. of the, the what I what I love most about it. The, mm-hmm. This movie is, is thrusted upon that. So that's why I use that as the title. Mm-hmm. Um, there, so he, uh, d- d- but did you make, I didn't notice any, but did you make any, uh, do you remember making any edits from, you know, him going into the astral plane and then making his way to Dalton? Um, some very minimal. Uh, for okay. the most part, it's 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 relatively untouched there. Uh, what I took out is, God, and I, I may not even be remembering this 100 percent correctly. Uh, I took out something. There, there, there's. God, I wish I could remember the reason. There's some gap between him seeing something and starting to run upstairs. Mm. when he's in the further mm-hmm. and i and i know i i trimmed that up so it just makes like instead of being like hey hey yeah it's like dude you come on you're out in the further and there's crazy ghost stuff going on <laughs> around you like you're fine 
Oh, you're talking about at the end when he's leaving. Oh, yeah, actually, I think that was. That was coming on the way down. Okay. That was pretty much, I think, mostly all that was trimmed. Uh, there might have been a shot or two of the uh, of the sort of fight with the the trench coat Columbine-y dude. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what to call him. His face melts. He yeah, tries to yeah, make yeah. out with Renee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, that little fight, I, I think it might have... Yeah, I, we trimmed I, up a little bit. And I could be... I don't even... Yeah. I don't know. This is like six, seven months ago. I think I tightened that up, and I know there was a, the stairs thing, and I cut him yelling something that was dumb. <laughs> That's kind of all I remember. And I, I watched the edit again, but I, I didn't watch the theatrical, which probably would have made more sense. So, I, of, I, but it was mostly untouched. The, the third act, other than music, was was mostly good. Yeah, one of my uh, favorite moments of acting in this whole movie is this little tiny micro moment of Dalton sitting chained to the ground uh, in the lair of uh, the Lipstick Demon. And he, uh, uh, Josh calls out to him. He sees that it's, he sees that he's there. He says, Daddy. And then uh, he puts his hands up. And I don't know if you remember this motion or not, but the way he uses his hands to cite a motion his dad to come to him. It's it's this really interesting um, uh, uh, act action that he's doing, which it's like help me, hug me, come here. It's like all of those things in this little this little <laughs> wrist motion kind of thing. And uh, um, I I I don't know what it is about that little moment, but I was really like, that's exactly what that kid would do, you know? Like <laughs> it was like a perfect. Uh, I, it's like I feel like I've never seen that in a movie, but I think I've seen it in real life or something. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, that's just me kind of rambling it, on that little. Interesting. Moment. Yeah, I, I mean, that sort of that moment in particular, I don't think I'd given more thought to than the rest of it. But in general, like I, I mean, it's it's not a surprise to me that that kid has become like a dude who does a bunch of movies. Like huh. I think he, I think you know what I mean. He's good and and. I hate to say it, but like being not bad is an amazing talent for a child, for a young actor. child actor. Yes. It's like it's like just don't take me out of it. Exactly. With, with yes. how bad you are, and, yeah. and he's good. He's nuanced. Like I mean, yeah. he's in a coma for most of it, but like in both of these movies, especially in the second one, you know, when he sort of has the climactic moment there, like I think he does a real good job. Hmm. Um, but so yeah, it's interesting. I, that moment in particular, no, but his whole that whole scene when when i think josh comes in mm-hmm. it's it's really good and mm-hmm. and sort of your 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 prototypical 5 million dollar horror movie really doesn't have any business getting actors as good as patrick wilson and rose <laughs> Byrne. yeah and and it's and anti simpkins i'll say that mm-hmm. so so it it's more power to them that they do mm-hmm. and it, it it's part of the reason why i think these are are sort of really good and, and a mm-hmm. step above because they're really good i mean mm-hmm. patrick wilson has never been bad in anything ever <laughs> i mean period yeah you're making me go through his his uh his library yeah, go ahead and, go yeah. ahead and it, recent patrick wilson crush and fargo old school patrick wilson like say what you will about watchmen nobody can hate on his night owl yeah rose rose burn hilarious in neighbors i mean you <laughs> know, anyway they're they're all good uh, speaking of the Watchmen, uh, have you seen the the four hour uh, edit fan edit of the Watchmen that's on um, uh, dot info? Yeah, the the 
the ultimate yeah right, the ultimate cut i, I I'm, I'm a i'm actually a huge watchman fan really enjoy that movie and i had the i've had i have the the ultimate edition that has mm-hmm. all of that the motion comics so, so it was nice when someone as soon as i found out what fan edits were i was like please tell me someone did this. And, they, <laughs> and they did they put the yeah. motion comics back where they should be yeah and it's it's great yeah, i mean i I'll never show it to my wife who didn't like the Watchmen because that ain't gonna sell. That ain't gonna sell you on it three and right. three hours of it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's great. Yeah. Um. So. Uh. So he takes his kid. They run out. Um. Uh. As he is leaving, um, escaping the uh, um, uh, the the further, and the the ghosts have started to penetrate the living world and they're kind of coming in and it's sort of the, you know, the, it is really the climax of the movie. Yeah. Um, and there's the shots of, uh, of Rose Byrne trying to haul, call out to, um, to them through, uh, through, through Patrick's, uh, well, Josh's face while he's in the chair, kind of convulsing. Um, uh, for me, uh, I felt like that was that whole sequence there was the best use of the It Follows soundtrack. Um, there, there are other times in the movie where the soundtrack comes out and there's a little bit of a disconnect. Like I, you kind of feel like this was um, not not this wasn't filmed to this music or vice versa. Um, right. But this scene right there, that whole sequence, uh, is, is 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 just right. It's just right. Um, and, uh, I was totally on board with it and I was actually surprised because you, you're right. You said it earlier is that this music, you have so many minutes of it and you don't have an opportunity to play a whole different part. So the themes do get repeated several times. And that's how all music is in, in, in movies is that you do want a little bit of repetition so that you can tie one thing to another. Um, yeah. But they're still going to only give you 44 minutes of music when they used 130 or 110 in the movie yeah. or whatever. But yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. So, so I was, I, I felt like as we approached the end, I was like, I wonder if I'm going to get burnt out on this theme. But instead, it was like the right and perfect use of it um, during that whole sequence. So you picked the exact right music from the soundtrack to be played over that whole sequence. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank well you. Well done. Yeah, I, I, it is repetitive, and and I guess it's a per, it's a matter of personal preference. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad, and it it's such a great soundtrack. And beyond it being a great soundtrack, it has a lot of emotional dynamic range. Like you know, when you think of it, you just think of like driving new school synth stuff. Yeah, but they it really have a lot of emotion in it, and mm-hmm. it's hard to to sort of go back and forth without using a piece seven times but it's it's a really really it's good a really score, good score yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 it, it it can be versatile in in ways that's that's pretty cool and mm-hmm. that's why for me i mean i having just watched rewatched she had it like i i like it i still mm-hmm. like it it's the repet sure it's repetition but it, you know for me it's thematical repetition but it, it's just such a good score I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so they do call him back. They do come back. The ghosts uh, disappear, um, and it's, in some sense, all is well. <laughs> right. And, and, oh, and, and we see the bride in black in here. So this is, I mean, 
I can't think of a horror film that laid the groundwork for the villain of the second movie in anything other than a perfunctory scene. Ooh, ooh. And I yeah. feel like it deserves a lot of credit for that because we not only see that the bride affected Josh as a child, and that's why he got mind wiped in the first place. Mm. Then we also see her targeting him in the further. We see them spinning around and looking at each other in a mirror, mm-hmm. which is where it borderline was too much for me. But in the end, I left it. <laughs> well, I think the um, reason I think the reason that works is because the end of that little moment with him in the mirror is she's falling into the background. And yes, that fadeaway shot. Yeah. If she had stayed in the frame, it would have been too obvious. So the fact that she kind of falls into the background uh, in the darkness gives you a sense that, okay, I think he did win, uh, which, which sets up the, the final reveal at the end. Oh, that's, that's true. Great point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that as my rationale. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is good. But I, I do like – I mean, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a sucker for – clever plotting in a sense that Mm -hmm. when i when i when i find when something's tied into another thing really cleverly it it makes me sort of forgive a lot of other things about it and just enjoy it Mm -hmm. and i really liked that when i saw insidious chapter two it wasn't just that they laid you know the the bride foundations it wasn't just that they totally stressed that the bride fucked with josh as a child repeatedly trying Mm -hmm. to inhabit him Mm -hmm. but i also love that um that 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 uh, that that the way. Uh, hang on, I lost, I lost my train of thought here. Sorry, <laughs> looking, at, looking at a looking at a, a kid here. All right, she's not quite waking up. Okay. You're editing this a little bit, right? <laughs> uh, oh yeah, chop, a, chop, what, chop a chop a few seconds. By the here. time I'm done, it'll be ten minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> No, but but so not just tying in the vid- the victim, or I'm sorry, the main bad of the, mm-hmm. of the sequel, mm-hmm. but I really like that they explain what the hell was knocking on Josh's door in the first movie. You know, when you go back and watch it, and you're like, oh, it's himself knocking to to get in. Hmm. You know, it's not just the the prequel, o- or I'm sorry, the sequel opens with the shot of Josh as a kid, and then they later explain what the shot of Josh as a kid is. Now, it's clever enough to introduce a shot and then explain what it means an hour later. Mm-hmm. But it's really cool to explain what a sh- what a scene meant that was filmed four four years before, mm. <laughs> or, mm. or three years before. Yeah, and it's like here's what was fucking with Josh, and this ties in with that intro scene that we showed at the beginning of the second movie. Gotcha. Like I really, I, I really like that, and that's why I sort of I, f- I didn't focus on like I cut out the part where Josh grabs like a poker, iron or whatever you call it, and is like ah because <laughs> yeah you know, that's like, right that's it's right like, look, the knocking that. happens nothing's here he checks with the flashlight he sees nothing that's mm-hmm. it that's freaky enough mm-hmm. and it, and it sort of makes a little more sense I think when it ties in and it just makes more sense with his character at that point. But I appreciated that about the sequel. They didn't just tie in like, oh, we dropped the villain. We also are going to explain the one thing that hasn't been explained in the first movie. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so this this brings us up to really the ending of the movie. And you made, um, uh, you know, and, and still keeping in line with, you know, your uh, setting up for uh, allowing the sequel to work you did still modify the ending quite a bit. I did. That's, uh, 
probably the in that third act that's the majority of the stuff that was done was probably on that because other than that i think i mentioned the two tightenings but other than that it was mostly untouched but yeah the ending was sorry it was too long i don't want to see rose Byrne run around for four and a half minutes like that's weird let's we get what happens let's just show it blink it flash it go to credits and you think about that that's kind of what i wanted well, what it is uh, in the original, uh, it, it's 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 problematic in, in a couple of senses. One is that the it's 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 playing the part of a, a coda to say, hey, just a nice little button at the end of the movie, not all is well, kind of thing. But um, that is too long to 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 play that role. And um, what happens in the original is uh, um, uh, Elise's character sort of suspects that uh, Josh is not who he says he is, so he takes a photo. She takes a photograph of him, and the flash goes off, and he sort of get, he gets extremely belligerent, and then uh, attacks her and chokes her to death in that room. But there's uh, a lot of noise and sound that is happening in that moment, and the it keeps cutting back to. Uh, Barbara Hershey and um, Rose Byrne sort of having a, a conversation at the table and uh, while all the sound is going on they are not reacting to to it at all and you get another one of these moments where you're just like w- am I hearing something that is the, supposed to be the sound effects in the movie or am I hearing something that's just the score or something else why aren't these characters coming in and reacting and uh, and if they had then it, they probably could have stopped this whole thing or at least definitely totally changed the idea of what was uh, you know changed the button the point is it's not handled the way it should be handled and your solution for all of that is we don't show the choking out of the of Elise and all we see is she takes the picture she looks at it it's the bride in black and it comes zooming towards the screen cut and that's the end of the movie and that was I thought a really effective uh, and nice solution to clean up all of that ending uh, clean up the ending of the movie make it feel like it's a real coda and uh, give you that last little bump before you know. Oh, it's not a, and everything's not uh, finished. There's more to come. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, thank you. I I think that seeing the bride in a quick flash, like you you get it all from that, and mm-hmm. it drags a little bit. And also the dinner scene is again a fine scene if you have set the film up to be about this family's emotional journey. Mm-hmm which is what the theatrical was and what mine kind of isn't. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, it doesn't, it would have felt probably tonally off to, mm. to focus on that mm-hmm. when my sort of thing has been unrelenting dread. Mm. I guess that's kind of the best phrase I could use. Yeah. What I love yeah. about the score, what I like about it follows, it's unrelenting. No matter what happens, you don't fix it. You haven't stopped it. It's coming. You've <laughs> put a bandaid on it. Cool. Mm-hmm. It's not over. So I'm. So we we want a little bit of hey, great, cool. Except it's not over, and not only is it not over, like it's bad. It's here. Mm-hmm. And here, think about that over the credits as you <laughs> listen to this nice music. <laughs> that was sort of the idea, anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, all all things uh, being said, I, I think obviously I've 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 said enough to say that I did enjoy this edit quite a bit. I really liked um, how 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 different 
the thing felt and changed uh, just by replacing the score. I liked a lot of the the pacing uh, modifications that were done by by chopping up a lot of the 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 scenes uh, with um, you know with the family and whatnot. And uh, I know we're coming up here about an hour and a half and change, and so uh, I'll, I'm ready to wrap this up and and say thank you. I really enjoyed uh, you know you coming on and doing the show. Um, I hope we can uh, bring you back to do some more there. Is that your kid that I'm hearing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Remember that whole baby monitor call? Baby monitor, that wasn't yeah. just a bullshit joke for the sake <laughs> of the internet. Then that's actually true. Uh, she's uh, chill. She's cool. But no, I've had an absolutely great time. It's fun to talk about this stuff because, you know, when you do this stuff, it's like you've you've thought about something on so many levels mm-hmm. that it's nice to at some point just be like, Hey, I, you know, I don't even care if you got this or not. Like, let me just talk about what I was thinking because I've thought <laughs> about this and this and this. And, like, mm-hmm. I think this is interesting and like, this is interesting and nobody even noticed that it was edit, exactly. edited or whatever the case may be. It's it's definitely nice to discuss because all these edits, good or bad, they're sort of like movies. Like, people have intention. They have mm-hmm. goals. Mm-hmm. And they have emotional things that they're going for. And whether it works or doesn't is one thing, but it's it's always fascinating to me to talk about what it is, mm-hmm. what you know, behind it. What was the goal? What what were you thinking? What were you going for? Yeah, because the same, uh, just like you were saying earlier, that maybe James Wan did have some kind of compromise in order to keep that little scene. The same thing, we have compromises that we have to make when we're doing an edit. And uh, sometimes we kind of throw our hands up in the air and go, "Look, that's just the that's just the way it is," you know. Yeah. And, hey, maybe maybe he had what he had. There's no way he can get pickups with those guys, right? Maybe not. Maybe not. So you know, there's just it's funny. You start editing these things and you realize, oh, there's a million technical hurdles, and then you're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, when they actually film this thing, there's probably that times a hundred. So well, well, imagine, <laughs> it's imagine, all compromises, right? And, and just to go back to that one little moment, imagine, if you will, that the original screenplay didn't have them going upstairs and finding the room in shambles and whatnot. And the original screenplay just started with them having that conversation. Well, that would make a lot more sense, why he would be a little reluctant. And then later they filmed that and put that in the beginning, and that's what screwed it up. <laughs> Who knows, right? Yeah, but, that, so. that, yeah, oh my God, yeah. Or, you know... Well, anyway, any of these things. But I actually think James Wan loves jump scares, and I think he's good at them. He's the best. I, 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 I think that, that The Conjuring is, even though it's like weirdly loved by everyone, is still somehow underrated. Like I thought The Conjuring was brilliant and absolutely mm-hmm. loved it. Mm-hmm. So like my, my thing was uh, Insidious is like, hey, I, I love you, James Wan. I'm just trying to do something different with material that you made that I think works well with it. Yeah. And that was my goal. Because I, yeah. I think Insidious, the theatrical cut, is, is damn good. I think I think Chapter 2 is even better. Hmm. Um, and I think he's, he's awesome at what he does. I think, hey, Fast and Furious 7 was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right on. It'll be and interesting to, to, see him, uh, to see him go back to, to something different. But well, I, he's going to be taking on the Aquaman movie, so I wonder what he's going to bring to that. Is that confirmed or is that, is that rumored? Um, confirmed, I've got to change my excitement level. I did not know. I, I heard that. I didn't know that was if that was actually happening. Uh, as far as I know, um, that's actually happening. But, you know, ah, I guess awesome. things could change. Well, well, anyway, Rory, has been terrific talking with you. I'm glad you did the episode with me. I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll touch base and see if we can't get another one in the can. And uh, thank you so much for doing this. All right. Hey, thanks a lot, Bezo, for having me. You're damn good at what you do. And I like 
come on here and talk about movies and edits whenever you want. So <laughs> thank you. All right. All right. And also thank you for, uh, for everybody who's given a listen to this. I uh, appreciate you doing so. And um, hope you hear us uh, next time we come around. So uh, take it easy, guys. We'll see you around.